Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Countryside programme uh, from me, Simon Clark, and Kiri Kermud. And will you talk to Audrey Fowler on this week's programme, Kiri, about what? This week I talked to her about the Food, Fishing and Farming Awards. The nominations are now open and uh, close at the end of March. So I caught up to see what the categories are for this and what uh, they're particularly looking for. Marketing, branding, diversification. And uh, yeah, she had a whole raft of things that they were looking for. Good. And also I caught up with Footpaths Officer for the Manx Footpaths Conservation Group. Just to get an update whether... The Isle of Man, because it had a good reputation in recent years with walking festivals and the walks that are available on the Isle of Man. Had a good chat with them about that and, the, you know, how the weather, the recent wet weather and the storms that we've had, how they've affected uh, the Manx footpaths around the island. So uh, that's all on this week's Countryside, so sit back and enjoy. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. <laughs> Well, to begin with, on this week's Countryside, uh, Audrey Fowler, who is the marketing officer for DEFA. Uh, she's heavily involved in many projects, and uh, there's one recently that will be coming to the fruition, Kirin. You've been talking to Audrey about it. That's right. The uh, nominations are invited for the 2018 Food, Farming and Fishing Awards, and I went along to talk to Audrey about what this all entails. I think some of you will remember that it used to be called the Tomorrow's Farmer Award, but um, over the years, we had to change and diversify and, you know, keep up to date with things. And we've now call it the Food Farming and Fishing Awards. So this year, the search is on to find the Isle of Man's most forward-looking food farming and fishing producers. Over the years, these awards were very focused on farming. But last year, we widened the award to include food industry. And this year, we have widened it again to include fishing industry. This will help recognise that the food, farming and fishing sectors make an invaluable contribution to the local economy. Mm. They recognise those working hard in traditional industries who are seeking new ways to compete and grow. Um, It it gives us an opportunity too to to really showcase these people um, that are working hard and the general public perhaps don't know um, where their food comes from and you know it's good to showcase these people. Absolutely, especially in the farming industry, you know, it can be quite a lonely job out there, especially you know, on the side of a hill, and it might just be you, your wife might be out at work or whatever. And, you know, well, how do you pick these farmers, or what, what categories do they have to fit in to be even nominated? Well, um, over the years, we've had really top quality farmers come forward. Um, you can either nominate yourself or somebody else nominate you. I mean, last year we had James Callow from Ballaherd Farm, a young chap that's doing really well in the north of the island there, farming over 600 acres, employing a, a chap as well. You know, these, these are the sort of people we want to showcase, you know, really hard workers, and they're in the business to stay, not come one year and gone the next, really. Um, last year was the first time we had the Food Award, and we had uh, Jenny and Stephen Devereaux from Starvey Farm, Again, when you look at their business model, um, you know, nine or ten years ago, they were setting up at the farmers' markets, but now they don't perhaps need to do that. They're in a, a really big way of doing. They've got more polytunnels than ever before, and they've even got an, a packaging unit in one of their sheds. So you can obviously see that they are growing their business. Um, another winner last year was John and Fiona Anderson from Nogalo Beg. Um, we don't always give a diversification award, but um, they really stood out to the judges as being outstanding in all the things that they're doing, particularly on the educational front. 
it's really important to get that in your message too. An award set up like this, Audrey, you know, it gives these people something to strive for, you know, something to be proud of. And, you know, maybe um, they have targets throughout the year. This certainly could be one of them. Oh, for sure. It certainly helps um, with you going out into business to say that you've got this particular award, you know. Um, in particular, this criteria that we're looking for is to be market focused, uh, diversify to meet consumer demand, farming environmentally friendly, which is a really hot topic at the moment, isn't it? And create products that the Alaman can be proud of. So those are the sort of things that the judges are looking for. So please, if you do see somebody, you know, look over the farm hedge and just have a little skeet and see if you think, well, they deserve to be nominated. So just send their name in and uh, the judges will have a look at it. Because you do find a lot of people do lack confidence, especially in the agricultural sector. You know, maybe think, oh, we're not really, we're not really up to standard or, or this, that and the other. But the efficiency of a lot of the farms on the Isle of Man are second to none. Yeah, I think we've got a lot to shout about on the island. Uh, we, we do farm in very good ways and um, something to be proud of. I mean, it'll be great when Adam Henson comes over to the Food and Drink Festival, and it'll be lovely to show him around the diversified farms that we have on the island. And talking of the Food and Drink Festival, yet another busy time for you. It's just gone out today that you're looking for entries for that as well. Yes, um, the, the DEFA um, gives people a, a chance to showcase their products, and at the Southern Agriculture Show and at the Royal Manx Royal Show, um, DEFA provide a Manx produce marquee and people are very welcome to go in there and sell their produce and then for the food and drink festival again we widen that Manx produce marquee and you know in fact this year I think we might be getting rare breeds there just so that um, with Adam Henson coming over it opens up another door really. But supporting these events it really does benefit the island's economy you know it's all local it's it's Doing the full circle, isn't it? It is. Uh, people want to see from field to plate where their food comes from. They want the provenance shown in the shops when they go to buy their product. Um, but it's important for us to keep raising awareness of these hard-working people, whether that be in the farming industry, the food or the fishing. It's really important to raise their profile, tell people what they're doing, yeah. and, and tell their story, really. This is it. Uh, so that the young people and everybody can can buy into it. So having an, an award set up like this, it really is a brilliant idea. The entries are due to close quite soon, though, for the nominations for this year's Food, Farming and Fishing Awards. Yes, at the end of March uh, would be the deadline, and then we have a day of judging, and then the winning persons then are, are announced at the Royal Max Agricultural Show. So how do people go about nominating? Is it a quite hard process? <laughs> Not a hard process at all. Just just send their names into us and then it'll be up to the judges then to shortlist to go out for judging. So so please do just look over that field hedge and just have a look to see if you see anybody that's doing a really good job and send their names through. But it's really nice to see the new fishing award as well because that's obviously essential to the island, you know, having this beautiful Irish sea around us. Yeah, I mean I don't think it's been done before, but um it's important to highlight all food producers on the island man and um the fishing is no different to the farming really. So you were saying the awards, Audrey, are going to be presented at the Royal Manx show in August. Um, I guess it'll be lovely awards up for grabs. Yes, it is. It's a lovely night and the winning prize is £200 vouchers from ShopRite who are, we are very, very pleased that they are sponsoring this award again for us. In fact, they've done it every year for us and there'll be trophies and certificates as well. That was Audrey Fowler from DEFA. It's interesting to hear you talking to Audrey there because we always just sort of put it with food don't we but there's so much there with the with the fishing awards and uh, all sorts of things that 
I don't know, sometimes can be on the back seat of many people's lives. That's right. Farming and fishing are primary industries. They seem to be very quite basic. But it's nice to see people that are diversified or trying to reinvent old products into new things. And um, some people have managed really, really well to adapt and change the market demands. And it's great to have an award like this for them to be recognised. Yeah, and they're both very difficult operations in their own right and particularly with some of the politics that have gone on mainly in the fishing industry I suppose as well. That's right you've got to be quite a positive person within them both those industries and uh, to adapt to change I think is pretty essential but know that they're doing a great job here on the island for both fishing and the farming. Indeed. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, what do you know about the National Sheep Association? Well, it's an organisation that represents the views and interests of sheep producers across the UK. It was founded back in 1892, then as the National Sheep Breeders Association. But since 1969, it's been known as the National Sheep Association. It's had its first ambassador from the Isle of Man in recent times. Kerry Kermode, you were the one. What was that experience like and and how did it come about? Uh, Just before Christmas, the National Sheep Association put out an application form for the Next Generation Ambassador Programme, which entails um, 10 to a dozen young breeders across the UK uh, to come forward um, and this year I applied out of 60 young ambassadors. I got through to the final 12, so I was absolutely delighted. Yeah, and where were they all from? Completely across the whole of the British Isles, Northern Ireland to as far as Shetland and down to the bottom coast of, of England. Um, all like-minded people, really keen in the sheep industry, um, but willing to develop and yeah, hopefully promote the, the sheep industry as a whole. Yeah, is this sort of um, shortened down to to like premium pedigree breeders is it oh no absolutely not the 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 young people are from all walks of life there's hill farmers from the north of yorkshire to intense um romney sheep farming brought ideas brought from new zealand where young people have been in new zealand stayed for a couple of years and come back and and bringing these effects onto the farms in britain all different types of farming and um what works and methods that maybe don't work so well can all come together and talk about it but their general outlook is to encourage young people to come into the sheep industry. And what did it entail? What what sort of things do you have to do and and talk about, really? Or Yeah, so we've got five delivery sessions throughout this year. Um, there's a lot of personal development where we'll be able to hear seminars from various vets talking about sheep flock health issues. There's big issues with antibiotic resistance and problems with using overuse of worm drenches where the sheep have become immune to it and uh, what way around we can do with that because there's obviously going to be problems in the future. So there's five delivery sessions right across the whole of the UK. Uh, we have to go to some of the big events to try and recruit young breeders or, or young sheep enthusiasts to maybe, you know, develop new skills or embrace uh, electronic identification tagging systems to make it more efficient and profitable. Because I think a lot of the time they say, oh, there's, there's no money in, in producing sheep meat. And well, there is if you do it properly, benchmarking and recording your flock and, and following some of these seminars, learning about health and what you can do to change your home farm. Did you find there was a lot of enthusiastic young people who were were interested in keeping in the sheep industry or going into it, you know, just going on the recent sort of prices and climate? Absolutely. I was actually quite astounded, Simon, for my first delivery session, which I've just come back from, which was held in Bath. 
the 11 other ambassadors were, were so positive and so enthusiastic. It was a breath of fresh air. And I think this is where maybe sometimes the negativity actually brings you brings you down, brings the industry down. But if you actually look at things a bit more closer and, and be positive and have that a, a forward-thinking attitude, you can actually make a good living. But uh, you've got to embrace change and um, look at your figures and look at your efficiency of your farms and uh, not maybe hide away from it because not everyone likes to you know, to follow their figures and see that they're doing badly or where they can improve. But um, it's quite scary sometimes, maybe, I don't know. But it was so enthusiastic and came back very positive. And it's interesting to hear that piece you said about um, the worm drenches and things like that, uh, saying that the, sh- the sheep are now getting immune. And, and you get this from the human chain side of it as well, with the people uh, getting immune to antibiotics, that's what the word is, and things like that. And it's happening in the animal world too. Well, this is it. Instead of maybe using a chemical product or an antibiotic to maybe alleviate a problem, managing the farm a little bit better by doing different grazing systems is one thing I learned this this last few days. You know, if you have a a good pasture rotation, you know that the it breaks the cycle of the worm egg and infestation of, of adult worms into the sheep. Uh, but, but also it, it's been brought to the attention when I was reading up as well that there seems to be a lot of trouble with the sheep scab as well in recent times. It's a really, really big problem in, throughout the whole of the UK. Um, there's people jabbing to try and treat scab, prevent scab every four weeks now and the drugs aren't working. So they may have to go back to the old-fashioned plunge dipping Sometimes it's brought around by some of the big hills maybe not being gathered so much and it reinfestations and and di- they're in a bit of a pickle at the moment to what way to go with it. But that's that's a real big problem. Mm. Well, congratulations on uh, being selected as the Isle of Man representative, uh, ambassador for the National Sheep Association, and good luck on your old Kerry this year. Thank you. Well, walking activities here on the Isle of Man seem to have grown in popularity over recent years. There's walking festivals and groups that go out on a regular basis. Well, to find out more about one such organisation, I met up with David Lyserick, who's the footpaths officer for the Manx Footpath Conservation Group. I asked him about the state of the Manx footpaths at present with this recent bad weather that we've been having. But first of all, I asked him about what the Manx Footpath Conservation Group is all about. Manx Footpath Conservation Group was established in 1991 as an independent group following the winding up of the Manx Conservation Council. The council was concerned with lots of environmental matters and various specialist groups relating to footpaths, town and country planning, natural resources and since its demise the group's activities are a continuation of the original objectives of the footpaths group of the Manx Conservation Council. In the early years the group worked closely with a then, I think it was Department of Transport, to press for the implementation of public rights of way legislation and to establish a record of public rights of way throughout the island. Right. Is it quite complex still then, the, the sort of laws around footpaths and things, or is it fairly clear-cut? In theory, it's clear-cut. Mm-hmm. In reality, it is very muddy. Literally muddy as well. The public rights-of-way are all defined in both in words and on maps, and in theory, that is definitive. But it's like any system, there are holes and bigger holes in the system that 
can be found if you look carefully. Yeah, I suppose a lot of the the older ones were were, were done in um, in the way of verbal agreements. I suppose were they, or just the sort of old laws where we've heard about it a few years ago. Obviously, when so many people walk the paths, and that that makes them right away and things. Absolutely. There's very little in the way of formal written agreements that something is going to be a, a path. It is usual for custom and practice over 20 years of use that if something has been used for a long period, it can be called a public right-of-way. And then there is a legal procedure for actually defining it as a public right-of-way. We have a quite dense network of footpaths in the south of the island, there are many less in the north of the island. And there are always minor changes going on to the footpaths network. It's a, a living beast. But at the same time, procedures have to be followed. Have you found over the years that landowners have sort of grasped hold of, of areas that were public rights away and things and um, I mean I'm sort of just using as an example the, the railway lines and things like that where people seem to uh, have grasped ownership or, or claimed ownership off the parts of the land that go through. Even, you don't want to get into a legal row of no, course. No. No. E- even where a landowner claims ownership there can still be a public right of way Right. and especially for the footpath end of public rights of way The numbers of people who go traipsing all over this island are relatively small and therefore the imposition on landowners is very light. Uh, But there are certain parts, for instance, of the Radnafollon, the coastal footpath, Mm. where the Manx Footpath Conservation Group and I'm sure the Department of uh, of Infrastructure would prefer to move from the existing footpath, which might be on narrow roads with high-speed traffic, Mm -hmm. to more rural areas. And if we could encourage landowners to participate, I'm sure that things would move forward in that way. But there are certain areas where certain landowners have made it very plain that although people would like to walk across their land, no, they're not going to change their minds and it will remain private land. But, I mean, the Manx Footpath Conservation Group, you do go out walking, I presume. <laughs> you're not just looking after them and trimming no, them. We, we do indeed. We've got about 270 members, mm-hmm. and of those 270, different people go out. For instance, there are some people who only walk on a Tuesday, some who only walk on a Saturday... We walk every alternate Tuesday and every Thursday, every Saturday, every Sunday. And in the summer, we walk Wednesday evenings. Each walk varies in length. Thursdays, for instance, are two and a half to about three and a half miles in length. And they tend to end up at a local hostelry. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Saturday walks can vary from eight miles on flattish land in the winter through to about a dozen miles, 15 miles over upland in the summer. So there's different walks for different people, different abilities. Also depends on who you're friendly with as well, because we are a very friendly bunch. The number of walkers varies from about, I would have thought a, a, a tiny walk might get six people, 
But on a Thursday, for instance, we'd been up to about 45 really? people walking. Yeah, Right. That's, it seems fairly popular. and It is a fabulous place. I mean, I've lived here all my life, and I still find paths and little tracks that are there. I've never been down in my life, and you just get a different view and perspective of the island don't you from some parts the views the perspectives are wonderful not only in one direction but even just turn around and walk the other way and you get a totally different view the 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 whole feel of a path can change depending on which direction you're walking in i've only been on the island for about six years now and one of the things i love is going out on a walk where i'm not the leader And I think I know where the leader is going, but then suddenly there's a change of direction and I think, I've never been down this path. Mm. And you're always finding new places, new views. What about, I'll have to ask you, how are the footpaths? We've had some terrible rain and weather off late on the Isle of Man. What's the state off them on a scale of 1 to 10? If 10 is good, (laughs) I would say that we're about 6 or 7. All right. But the... Footpaths on this island vary a lot. We have some walkers in our group who want to walk on something that is, let's say, five foot wide, grass, cut to quarter of a millimetre high, like a billiard table. Mm -hmm. And there are others of us who are happy to go yomping across hillsides or through muddy areas. At this time of year, the muddy areas are tending to win because of nature. And... I certainly don't expect miracles. Footpaths are footpaths. They are not like a a street to walk down. You've got to accept the conditions that are there that are natural. But this year we have had some pretty heavy weather. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've got seven public rights of way which are closed primarily due to the weather. And we hope that the Department of Infrastructure gets the more important of those repaired, maintained and back in use, especially before the walking season starts mm-hmm. for the the people who are less able to cope with rough weather. Is it all the department's remit to keep the footpaths all going? Or? Under the legislation, there is a requirement upon the, on the government to maintain rights of way. Mm-hmm. Like many bits of legislation, the fine detail isn't necessarily there. It doesn't say what level you have to maintain to. But the ones that are closed at the moment are closed because they are dangerous. Wow, Wow. dangerous. Yes. And it must be tricky, I suppose, because obviously a lot of when you drive around the roads of the Isle of Man, some of them have ended up in a pretty poor state from from the weather and of course but I suppose you've got to look at it from both sides some people might just walk and don't have a car I suppose we take it for granted those who drive the priority for the Department of Transport uh, Infrastructure and I can quite understand this is to maintain roads in that roads if there is an incident on a road it can turn fatal whereas most of the public rights of way are small paths And if they have to be closed for a short period, then that is a necessary thing to protect the few people who walk on it, whereas incidents on a road could cause a lot more damage. Mm -hmm. So I can totally understand DOI's priority 
but as a walking group, we are there to foster and encourage walking and to pressurise government bodies to carry out maintenance promptly according to their obligations. All right. Well, it seems it's great to see that it's still popular and it seems like the Manx Footpath Conservation Group has got, as you said, a lot of members uh, in tow. And if anyone wants to to get involved uh, with the group, uh, David, how do they do that? The easiest way in this day and age is to go on the internet to go to Manx Footpaths, all one word, manxfootpaths.org and our pages on the website there will have names of the chairman, the membership secretary and people like myself who are committee members. There is also a list of walks for the forthcoming month usually and if even if people just turn up it gives the the diary says the day the date the time the walk is starting where it's starting and a map reference off the ordnance survey map and if people just turn up they will be greeted and welcomed we are always happy to welcome new members the annual subscription is a a huge sum of six pounds per year so it's it's affordable our membership secretary would prefer people to pay by standing order but that's you know, relatively easy to sort out. Our walks are suitable for all ages. We've had children at the sort of six, eight years of age. I think our oldest walker on a regular basis is 92. Really? Um, but if he, if someone wants to come up who's 100 years old, we will accept you. You know, we, we're, we're not biased on age. We recommend that people who come walking have either walking boots or sturdy shoes. And bearing in mind our lovely climate here on the island waterproofs are a good idea and for the longer walks you would need a packed lunch the only negative that i know of with the group is that we don't allow dogs but that's because we regularly walk across farmland and we have no idea what animals are going to be on the grasslands generally people have to accept that they are walking at their own risk But other than that, we as a group have remarkably few incidents. Most of them recently have been in car parks before the start of walks. So you can never be too careful. That was David Lyserick, the footpaths officer for the Manx Footpath Conservation Group. You've got public footpaths around your area, Kiri. Are they as popular as they once were? The coastal path down through Santon Gorge seems to be a lot, lot quieter than when I can remember being a child playing in the river. I'm not sure why this is, because it's been very well kept and there's lovely boardwalks and the amount of rare species of grass and little insects and things that can be found down there is meant to be second to none. So it is a bit uh, peculiar why things change over time. But there's some beautiful coastal paths down in our parts and, yeah, they are very busy. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, there we are. Footpaths, awards for the uh, food farming and fishing industry with Audrey Fowler there. And it is great because we, we take it a little bit for granted when we're involved in food and agriculture quite a lot, Kerry, isn't it? And uh, sometimes the fishing awards, which are so important and uh, so many dedicated people to the fishing industry on the island, aren't they? 
That's right, especially with being everywhere so coastal and the, the fish fish is so fresh, you know, just off our shores. You know, where do you get that in the world sometimes? We're so lucky and don't really appreciate it. And, and they're doing a great job in the fishing department as well, keeping it all in check and above board. Well, yes, above <laughs> water, I thought you were going to say for a second, <laughs> which is good. And also um, talking about the uh, footpaths from the Manx Footpath Conservation Group there. And, uh, you know, just difficult to, to keep them all in good nick. You know, some are very, very uh, inaccessible, aren't they? Yeah. They really are. And especially on the coastal paths we were talking about, it, it's quite difficult. There's sea erosion, you get some wild days, don't you? And one minute it might look quite respectable, the next minute it'll be washed out and full of mud. But that's just the beauty about the Isle of Man. It's always changing, isn't yeah. it? And good luck to our ambassador from the Isle of Man to the National Sheep Association. Congratulations <laughs> on that, Kiri. I hope you have a great year with that. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to it. Privilege. Good. That's all for this week on Countryside. We're back next week with more. So from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kiri Kermit. We'll see you then. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.